standard issue for all women. Hello, Hannah here and welcome to this week's Sunday Chops. It's our last Chops before our run of International Women's Day podcasts. I could sit and list it here for you or, or, and this is a way easier for both of us in fact, if you just press subscribe wherever it is you listen to your podcasts, they'll just turn up and you can listen to them. But what I can assure you is they're all great. And this last chops before International Women's Day is also a cracker. I am talking to Francesca Spector, who is the host of the podcast Alonement. Her new book, Alonement, came out on Friday. You should definitely give it a read. It is really interesting. In this interview, we talk about being alone, be that physically or emotionally, why that gets such a bad rap in this country, why Francesca's trying to change it. We talk about lockdown, in which living alone was really, really hard, but also not getting a minute to yourself, which is something that lots of people also experienced, how that was really hard, how the nation views loners. We also talk about the bogeyman of the naked self, which is my new favourite expression. This interview was absolutely beset with technical problems, and Francesca was an absolute champion and incredibly patient. Sometimes when she's talking, you can hear a bit of fuzz in the background, but there was nothing we could do about that, and your ears will accustom to it really, really quickly. Okay, enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and brace yourself for a massive array of interesting women in podcasts coming to you in International Women's Day week. Until next time. Hi, Hannah here. I'm joined by Francesca Spector, host of the Alonement podcast and author of Alonement, How to Be Alone and Absolutely Own It. Thank you for joining us, Francesca. Thank you for having me, Hannah. Thank you for your patience. We had some tech problems at the top, but we're really firing on all cylinders now. So tell me, Francesca, how did you find this subject or is it more accurate to say how did this subject find you? People hear that I started a platform, wrote a book, host a podcast around spending time alone. They quite naturally assume that that's something that I've always been good at and always enjoyed. And that, you know, I'm just trying to convert other people to the cause that I'm a sort of proselytizing introvert, Uh, which is which is funny because it actually is the opposite. I was someone who was what I would describe now as an extreme extrovert. I was scared to spend even an hour in my own company. I don't think I had any capacity to spend time alone in a way that was healthy or beneficial. It was always something I was trying to escape. And I was very sociable. You know, I still am. But I was sociable to the extent that I was always trying to find ways to not be by myself. And yet life caught up with me and I came to a situation in 2018 where I was suddenly more physically alone than ever because I went through a breakup of a long-term relationship. I was living alone for the first time ever in my life and I realized that my fear of being alone wasn't really going to hold up because at that point I was dealing with the breakup by sleeping on friends' sofas just Mm. so I wasn't spending the night in my bed alone or, you know, I was going on dates that I didn't really want to be on. You know, I was was scheming and I realised a lot of my life was driven by this fear of being alone. So 
My breakup happened in the November 2018, uh, and in January 2019, I made a New Year's resolution. And we don't, you know, we don't normally keep to our New Year's resolutions. I never expected this to be a particularly monumental thing. But, you know, I said, I'm going to try and be a bit better at spending time alone, (laughs) which sort of snowballed. And so, you know, it started off very much as a personal journey, but I realized during that year how beneficial this had been for me. And I mean, to start with, it was, it was the first New Year's resolution I'd ever really kept to. Uh, and I realized that, you know, far from becoming a sort of isolated person, I was calmer, I was more confident, I was much less lonely because alone time, I learned how to make it so it wasn't lonely it was so that it was a positive experience I gained so much and it occurred to me you know what why socially do we never think about being alone as a skill because it occurred to me that I'd gained a lot from it so I thought perhaps others Mm. could too yeah agreed now you've kind of touched on it there the idea of being alone means a lot of different things so I thought we could maybe nail down a bit what we mean by being alone because I was thinking about, because I knew this was coming up, I was thinking about trying to specify exactly at what point in my life I felt comfortable being alone. And my initial thought was that it was probably in, I would say, my late 20s. Because that's when I stopped worrying if I didn't go out on a Friday night. But increasingly, I actually think that was FOMO rather than a fear of being alone. Because earlier, way earlier in my life, I went travelling by myself which is an odd experience because you are both alone, as in you are emotionally alone, you are financially alone, but you are also surrounded by probably way more people than... uh, You're sleeping in a dorm room with like 10, 20 people uh, quite often when you're travelling. So you're not physically alone, but you are alone. And also being alone is tied up with that word lonely, which you said, and also the idea of being single. And therefore, you know, if you're single, you're on your own. And if you're in a couple, you're not on your own which I don't think is particularly healthy either. So to kind of nail down, when you talk about alonement, are you talking about all of those things, some of those things? Yes, I love that you've asked that question because I think that alone is a word with so many different connotations. It's, you know, even in what you've said just now, you've used so many of those different meanings of being alone. So being physically alone, feeling alone, all of those different connotations. And of course, you know, it it can just be a, be an objective physical state but it you know it can also be often when we say that we feel alone what we mean is we feel lonely yeah and you know that's that's quite you know that's quite a negative connotation of it and you know I, I think that even within this vast array of meanings that we have for alone we didn't really have a positive one and you know some people would contest that solitude means a sort of positive aloneness but yeah. actually the word solitude it roots from the latin word for loneliness and it's not actually an objectively positive state you can say you have a negative solitude or you can say you've had too much solitude mm. so for me i thought okay you know we need to change how we socially see being alone because 
you know, as, as I said, I didn't think it was getting in enough, uh, enough credit. Uh, and so we need the language to express it. Uh, and, and so that's what alonement was born out of. And alonement, it's an objectively positive word and experience. So it does, it, it sort of eliminates those more negative connotations of alone. Uh, you'd, never say, you'd never say, I'm having too much alonement. At the core of it, it is when time alone is either, either joyful or uh, fulfilling or both. But, you know, it's, it's a positive experience that will benefit you as a person. Some people, like you say, are extremely extroverted and you would think that they are not necessarily a good fit for the idea of spending time alone. I would say I am both an introvert and an extrovert and that's why I think I'm actually ideally suited to spending time alone. There's an argument I could probably trace back to, you know, specific events in my life that made me okay with being alone. For example, I won't go through the full story now because everyone has heard this on our podcast already. But there was a, an incident when I was younger. I was, I think I was 10. And I ended up getting sent to the cinema by myself for a number of reasons. And I was okay with it. And therefore, I have never feared going to the cinema by myself because that was just something that happened to me and seemed quite normal. You know, whether or not it's necessarily good to send your kid to the cinema on their own at 10, <laughs> we don't need to go into that. But actually, I think it turned into a positive life experience. I've never feared walking into a pub by myself, things like that, because I was quite used to being alone. That said, my dad comes from a family of 12 kids and some of them have children and love being around people and some of them chose not to have children because they valued their own space so much because they've never had it. So my question, I suppose, is in the talking that you've done, do you think it's nature? Do you think it's nurture? Do you think it's a bit of both? So... The short answer is I think it's a bit of both. They actually believe that the most hereditary personality trait is your degree of extroversion. So it, it is interesting. There is, there is genetic background to you know, why you might be more extroverted or introverted. And it's to do with the, uh, the way that the dopamine is in your brain, the, the feel-good chemicals, um, that you, you, know, you respond to time with others more positively if you're an extrovert so you know there, there are of course genetic reasons but I do think that it also comes into what's seen as socially acceptable because this might work on a family level so you know say you're part of a family where it's really important culturally perhaps for everyone to be uh, to be together for instance I you know I, I come from the Jewish faith and you know it's very important to have big family celebrations yeah. for each of the festivals of which there are many um <laughs> and so you know that that would that would i suppose be a, a sort of a nurture type of extra extroversion although of course you know as you kind of say with your family you might react to that either way you might yeah. it might you might have a backlash i think also on a on a societal level so i think in general and this is a, you know this is a sweeping statement but in general in western society being an extrovert is seen as a bit better. Um, you know, I think that you know we, we, we see that in the fact that networking events uh, in non-pandemic times are sort of shoved down our throats mm. a bit, and the way that we celebrate things is through having parties and all of that. But you know, in other societies, for instance, in you know in Japan, being an introvert, having introverted qualities, that's 
more valued. So, of course, you know, while you might have genetic reasons for why you might feel more extroverted or introverted, it will be brought out in you and you'll sort of respond to what is appreciated. For instance, I, I feel like I'm similar to you in that I think that I'm a little, actually a little bit introverted, a little mm. bit extroverted, and I do think there's nuance. But I think perhaps my, whatever degree of natural extroversion I had, because it was sort of, you know, clapped at, I always say that, you know, extroverts is society's favourite child, you know, because that was really encouraged, mm. the fact that I could go to a party and, and, and chat to someone and feel comfortable doing that. I sort of leaned into it. And yeah. I didn't develop that capacity to spend time alone that's important. That's interesting because there's a sort of an irony there in that being alone sometimes forces you to be an extrovert. This manifests itself at weddings for me because I generally say to people, don't give me a plus one. Just invite somebody else that you know and like. Why would I drag a friend of mine or whoever along to take up a space where they're not going to know anyone? So I'm always happy to do that and go by myself. But it means that I generally get put at tables that kind of can accommodate one person or people have told me at weddings that they put me at a table specifically because that was a group of people who didn't talk much. And therefore, there was something about me and the way I am, because I have to talk to people all the time, I'm a journalist, that I was precisely the right person to get that table, you know, moving. So I kind of am forced to be, I can walk into a room and just talk to anyone because I am more often on my own, which seems like a kind of uh, an irony in that if I was introverted, that would be quite hard on me. Yeah, it's true. And I think that it might be more tempting to be in a relationship for the sake of it if you were an introverted person because you know you in those certain social scenarios you know, I've also you know had that situation at a wedding where it's sort of like okay you know do you want to shoehorn in a plus one or not yeah. sort of thing where you know it's 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 uh, it is you know it, it is a benefit to be an extrovert in those situations because otherwise it can you know it can be quite taxing I suppose so you, you might feel almost quite vulnerable not being able to be put in that deep end. Mm. You know, and I, I'm on balance still grateful to be an extrovert. I think that it's not, I'm not sort of rejecting everything that comes with, posit- you know, comes positively with being an extrovert. It's more that I think the, the introverts also have a lot to, uh, outside, of a, outside of a wedding context probably, <laughs> yeah. have, have a lot to admire. Yeah. Fear of being alone. Is, is something else that I think you have to unpack in a number of ways. I mean, especially if we're talking, uh, we're a women's podcast, so to, talking about women in particular in this instance. Some of those fears, I think, are probably founded, as in, for example, personal safety. If you decide to go to the cinema on your own at night, it's still pretty unlikely something will happen to you, but you are more likely to be mugged than I think if you are walking with a friend. So there is a I wouldn't want to diminish sort of anybody's safety concerns about the idea of of being alone. But most of those concerns do focus on what other people think of you being by yourself. And plenty of studies, your book has taught me, have actually shown that people generally don't even notice or don't care. Or if they do judge them, they're also judging the other people in the room who aren't on their own at the same time. It's, it's it's interesting. I think that uh, you know when we say a fear of being alone, yeah, there, there are lots of different elements to that, and one of those fears is 
a fear of being alone in public. And I, I love what you said about, as you said, perhaps not the best thing for 10-year-olds to be going to the cinema yeah. generally. <laughs> but I do love what you said about being always able to do that because you'd sort of had that, I guess you would call it exposure therapy to it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, you know, many of us do fear being alone in public. And I think that the studies that I look at in my book, um, and I don't think there's enough research on this yet, but the research that there is is fascinating. It really unpicks those fears. And, you know, part of it is that we don't like to be perceived to be doing sort of fun, frivolous things in public. Yeah. Um, you know, we're okay going to the supermarket alone, but the idea that we do something fun that we you know we could do with other people by ourselves it's like we were embarrassed about it you know and you know i think that's that's a big part of it uh, that we don't feel able to do those sort of just joyful you know hedonistic experiences in public also another one is that we if we think we're going to be perceived by a lot of people then we don't like that we're you know we're more scared of that um, and that's why actually some people might feel more comfortable going to the cinema as opposed to going to a restaurant yeah. just, you know, because you will be in the dark in the cinema mm. and there's only the sort of sticky part of walking in and out. Whereas being at a restaurant, you have a fear that you might be watched by all these people. And and, and that's not actually true. I mean, one, of the, one of the studies is based around something called the spotlight effect, which is that in short less people looking at us than we think in fact many many fewer people are looking at us than we think but we still feel like we're being looked at we're being seen as this sort of loner in public and that that again feeds into that fear of sort of public aloneness I mean I live by myself which is obviously not necessarily what you mean by alonement but I find when I talk to people about it you tend to get people catastrophizing. So people will say things like, oh my God, I couldn't do that because if, you know, the cat bought in a bird or there was a massive spider, I couldn't cope with it. And the news is, of course, you know this because you've lived by yourself. When you do live by yourself, you just have to cope with it. <laughs> and then you realise that it, it wasn't the worst thing that could have happened to you. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you think about sort, sort of, yeah, that, that more private aloneness, which, you know... It, as we both know, you get a lot when you're living by yourself, especially uh, during something like lockdown. Yeah, uh, we'll get on yeah. to that in a bit. <laughs> Completely, yeah. Um, but I think that, so, I mean, there's two things there. There's there's the practical fears around being alone and whether whether that's, you know, the, a fear of spiders or a fear of sort of burglars, um, mm. you know, there, there's, there's those fears. Um, and then there's the mental fear. And I think that, you know, for the practical fears, the short answer is they they are there. But, you know, it's it's about, as with any other fear of anything, it's just about putting in the measures to help you cope. I think a lot of people living alone have told me that they've bought uh, spider vacuums. You can, you can literally get a vacuum that sucks up a spider, which I, I'm actually not scared of spiders myself, which I've always thought was a, mm. a useful thing. But, you know, I, I think those fears are not different to any other fears. You know, it's not, they're not different to, you know, a fear of bungee jumping or anything like that. They're, they are things that are you able to overcome. I think the danger is when we conflate those fears with a mental fear of being alone, which is probably one of the most universal human emotions. And in my book, I quote a writer, Michael Harris, who calls this the 
the fear of the bogeyman of the naked self. Mm. Uh, and what that means is just a yeah, fear. That's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, the, the bogeyman. The, the bogeyman is basically just your own thoughts. And, yeah. and most of us, and you know, I include myself in this, most of us have some degree of fear of facing our own thoughts, which manifests itself in all sorts of ways. And in order to be comfortable alone, you have to at least be able to tackle that to some degree. You know, not always. It's not always going to be comfortable for any of us to sort of face our own thoughts. But you need to develop some capacity of that to be able to do alonement in my mind. And I think it's very easy to say, oh, I couldn't be alone because of spiders. But maybe in the back of our mind, what we're actually fearing is those thoughts that come later yeah. night. I have a friend who was, is an alcoholic. Stop drinking. And she said to me, when you tell someone that you don't drink anymore, that you stop drinking, everything that they say after that point is actually about them and not about you. And I sometimes feel the same about being single, living alone, time alone. An example of this is when the first lockdown eased, so about July, there was a spate of stories, really sad stories in the national press about people being found in their homes that had died during lockdown, you know, either of coronavirus or of other things, but because they lived on their own, nobody had noticed, basically. And The Guardian went down and did some reporting on it and almost local newspaper reporting went and spoke to the neighbours and quite a lot of the neighbours, I found, said things like, oh, he liked to keep himself to himself. And that, to me, raised the question of, did he or... Did you just assume that he liked to keep himself to himself and just not speak to him? So I think that there is something in our culture that suggests that there is something quite lonely and tragic and awful about being alone. I think that does exist. But I, do, I personally, I just think you have to look at that. You have to say that says more about you than it says about me. So my question would be, if you are the sort of person, I suppose, that has that gut reaction, are you exactly the person that needs to then maybe think about spending some time by yourself? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think it's very easy to see the person that chooses to spend a lot of time alone as this sort of this other figure. Mm. And I think, you know, a lot of that does come down to one's own projected fear around being alone. I used to see people who were able to do things alone all the time I, I used to just I, I never understood that it's not that I I thought badly of them I just never got it mm. um and I suppose yeah the deeper you go into that the more it does sort of create that tension because you you just don't understand it and it and it frustrates you and it, do, it does again you know it, it says more about you and I think that this notion of a person living alone yeah it's it's you know it's pain we hear these stories in the in the newspapers about you know the, the person who died alone face eaten by alsatians i think <laughs> is the bridget jones quote we, we sort of portray it as this tragic thing but there are many different ways to be a person who lives alone and spends time alone and i think that that's what i really want to change the perception of in the book because once we see that as something that is relatable or even aspirational then it's something that we can both try and understand ourselves and also 
maybe get a bit more of. You know, mm. I think it is quite contagious, I think, the alonement thing. A lot of my friends started spending more time alone, sort of having intricately planned nights in because of the alonement concept. And I think that feeling empowered to speak about it and share it, it might scare people at first, but I think it, it really is, it's, it's doing people a favour because I, I do think that this could benefit yeah. everyone. I'm obviously demonstrating some kind of privilege here because I can afford to live by myself and lots of people can't. So what tips might you have for someone who lives in a shared house, for example, and would absolutely love to have some time by themselves but just isn't finding it? Yeah, because this is the conversation, isn't it? Because I think that, you know, as much as uh, we can talk about the stigma around being alone, I think that... Over the past year, we've uh, many, many people have realised that they would actually like a bit more alone time. Mm. You know, living in shared houses, especially if you know you're in a situation where you're parenting, homeschooling, caring in any way, living with a partner who you're not used to spending 24/7 with. So there's a chapter where I talk about the concept of me space, which is like me time, but you know the physical space in which you do your alonement. And I spoke to a lot of people living in different shared living situations and you know some again there's you know there's an element of um, privilege at play in this you know some people were able to say okay I have a shed at the end of the garden Mm. where I spend time alone or I um, you know I have a spare bedroom where I spend time alone but others had come up with more novel solutions one of the most interesting couples that I spoke to they lived in Hong Kong where space notoriously comes at a premium And they were saying how important it was for them to be using noise-canceling headphones when they were in the flat, which sounds ridiculous, but that was they said that that was an absolute godsend just to be able to get that, you know, to, to tune, tune out of whatever their partner was doing or to be able to watch something or, you know, just creating that sort of that, that boundary as, you know, as, as hard as it is somewhere like Hong Kong. I think other people they would say to me how, for instance, friends of mine had an arrangement with her boyfriend where they'd agree to have at least one night a week alone in the flat. And it's, it's nice that alonement had, cut, had become a value in their relationship that they respected and didn't see as something that was just, you know, desperate urge to get away from one another, that it was just a value in and of itself that they could communicate about respectfully. Um, and that one night alone each in the flat during the week, that kept them really sane and, and helps them sort of replicate some of that experience of living alone that mm. they might have had otherwise. You know, I think that obviously there are difficulties in every situation um, to getting time alone, unless, of course, you live alone. But I think that it's once you make it a value with the people that you live with, you'll work your way around it and you will be able to introduce it in whatever novel way you can. One of the times I struggle with the need for personal space is when I go on holiday with people because you're around them all the time and that for me is an even bigger deal because I'm not around people all the time. And so I sometimes will say, I'm going to go and read a book here or go and do this. And I think sometimes it's quite hard to establish to that person that this isn't about not wanting to be with them. It's about just wanting to be by myself. Because I think sometimes people do perceive the idea of I'd rather be alone does not necessarily mean I'd rather be not with you. 
you sometimes get little offended faces of, oh, have I said something or done something? And you're like, no, I just, I just need half an hour and then I'll come back. And that brings me to my last question, which is, so I know that you did lockdown by yourself and I did lockdown by myself, which has sort of been an interesting social experiment, which I could probably talk about forever, but we'll keep it short. When we were right in the heart of lockdown, somebody who was very close to me said, when I was talking about being by myself, said, oh, that sounds brilliant. And I was initially quite annoyed by that as a statement because I was like, oh, yes, sounds brilliant. I might die in my bed by myself and no one will be here. Yeah, sounds brilliant. But actually, given that she's got young kids at home and her husband is now working from home and she hasn't had a minute to herself for the best part of four months at that point. With hindsight, I understand what she was trying to say. So who do you think it's been harder for? People who've been on their own or people who haven't had a minute to themselves? <laughs> and how hard was it for you? Well, I mean, the, the first part of that is I realised quite early on that there was no perfect way to do lockdown. I think that, you know, actually there's probably been more empathy during this time for every situation because no one can be held up as the perfect situation. Mm. Even, you know, in a society where we've historically kind of put relationships on a pedestal, I think we're, we're hearing certainly enough to know that, you know, being single also definitely has its perks um, <laughs> during during this time. So, you know, my answer to that is that there there is no one better situation. And I think that what's unnatural about this time is we've all been put into extreme situations. We're not meant to be in extreme situations with alonements. It is based on the idea of moderation, which can often not be very marketable. We often like to talk about things in extreme. Especially, you know, even with solitude, we like to talk about the solitary hermit, but not the person who really thrives from 10 minutes alone in the morning. But mm. that's sometimes just, that's what one needs to get the benefits of alonement sometimes. And, you know, your friend, again, it's it must be difficult. Being alone for all that time in lockdown was a difficult thing. And I felt, I felt personally almost quite ashamed of saying that at the very, very mm. start because I felt like a parody of myself at one point because I was alone during a lockdown writing a book about being alone. Yeah. And uh, it was, yeah, it was, it, it was alone. A bit meta. It, got, it all got a bit meta, yeah. <laughs> but it really, it really taught me that the moderation I'd always talked about was so important. You know, previously, my alonement had existed within a scaffolding, if you like, of, of social interaction and Certainly, you know, 2019, the year that I discovered alonement, that was the least lonely year of my life because I was able to have the balance of alone time, which I no, long, no longer considered lonely, and social interaction. And it was bloody brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I think that with lockdown putting us in those extreme and natural situations that we're just not supposed to be in, it really, I think it created a much bigger dialogue around you know how much alone time we need and the value of it yeah. as well uh, which I think is great the thing that I did learn more about during lockdown which was interesting was I suppose loneliness because I think that I didn't really understand loneliness before this time because what I perceived as loneliness was just not being very good at being 
alone, mm. which was, I do think was a different thing because I think it was, you know, all that, that business about wanting to escape your own thoughts or not feeling it was socially acceptable to be alone on a Saturday night. But what I realized during lockdown was the absolute value of feeling connected, even when you're alone. Mm. And, you know, I think when that balance tips, when you haven't had as you know i'm sure likely both of us experienced as you haven't when you haven't had any face-to-face contact for the first two months of lockdown yeah. you realize that it's 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 harder to appreciate both states you know it's it's, it's harder you you become you feel detached in social situations because you're not used to it mm. and you don't feel like you can you you can value your alone time anymore even when you know and even when friends say well-meaning well-meaningly you're lucky to have spent so much time alone you, you don't feel like you can value it in the same way anymore yeah it's interesting because I, I kind of I suppose it depends what mood I'm in sometimes I think it was like you say it's actually quite positive I got a lot of shit done I actually got on top <laughs> of my life in a way that I hadn't been for absolutely ages kind of reminded me of uh, the playwright Joe Orton who used to live just in a one bedroom a one room flat in um, I think he was in Camden with his boyfriend and they uh, they got sent to prison for vandalizing library books and joe orton absolutely thrived in in lockdown did amongst the most not lockdown in prison almost the same thing um (laughs) because he got a load of stuff done he wrote loads more than he'd written for ages because he was on his own and there was nobody there distracting him and that in many ways like i say you can look at stuff like that think that's a really positive thing but yes there is definitely downsides and i do wonder now how i'm gonna fare when i have to go out into the real world because I think being around a huge amount of people is actually going to freak me out. One good thing that I do hope will come out of this time is that we will be more honest about the social scenarios we want mm. to be in and the social situations that we don't want to be in. I think that, you know, the whole, uh, you know, the, the, the tyranny of a party sometimes, you know, can it, it can be, for, for, for some people, they just don't like going to parties and they would have really almost relished not having to do that during this time. And I think that we are going to be more honest about look this is the social situation I really craved and perhaps these are the ones that I've learned about myself during all the introspection that you get during lockdown that I don't like and you know the same with um the same with certain perhaps friendships or connections in your life that just perhaps have even if you if you haven't felt the need to reach out to someone in your life during lockdown then odds are you probably don't want them anymore in your life I think that there will be a certain amount of adjustment I think that likely will snap back but I think that in a positive way we might be seeking connection in a more meaningful way that idea of moderation again thinking it's not more is more it's uh you know it's it's the quality connections that really sustain you Francesca this has been excellent Alonement out on the 4th of March Alonement the podcast all good podcast providers all good podcast providers great and where can people find you on the social media at alonement official on instagram and i'm at ches specter so that's c-h-e-z specter um e-r at the end on twitter excellent thank you so much for your time thank you so much standard issue for all women